Hey, welcome back to the Boring Launch Podcast, the game developer podcast where we discuss the Murphy's Laws of shipping games, that everything that can go wrong will go wrong. In this week's episode, we will talk about that one last minute change that you did to your game. You know, that seemingly innocent one and how that can turn your launch into a not so boring launch. I'm your host, Raymond Arifianto. Let's get started. Hey, yo, I'm excited to introduce our next guest, Brian Cox. Hey, Brian, good to have you on the show. Hey, Raymond, thanks for having me. Now, you know, I see your credential and you've been around the world. Like you've been really traveling all over the world, Brian. Tell me more about that. I started in the Netherlands working at Triumph Studios on Age of Wonders 3. And this was a really nice start uh, to my career. After my internship, they offered me a job. And then I think one year later, after the game was shipped, uh, Rare contacted me to work on Connexport Rivals, first as a contractor. Then um, they kept extending my contract. Eventually, I became a full-time employee and I worked on Connexport Rivals, Rare Replay and Sea of Thieves. And then I moved to Creative Assembly, did Halo Wars 2, uh, the expansion of it. And then so all of a sudden I got job offers from all over the world. I had Amazon offering me a position first in the US, then in uh, London. I had Ubisoft contacting me for their studio in Canada, their studio in Singapore, and their studio in Shanghai all at the same time. And then I had to pick one of the offers and I picked based on what project I liked the most. And in this case, I, when I was a teenager, I used to play Far Cry 2. So having the chance to contribute to Far Cry 5 was a dream come true. And also, I was very curious about living in China and experiencing, you know, China lifestyle. Wow. And now you're in NetEase, right? That's right. Culture-wise, it's very, very different to work in Netherlands and working in England and working in Shanghai. What are the things that you notice the most when you're working in all these great uh, companies you've been involved in? I would say most companies that I've worked at, they're very international. So the life at the company itself is always kind of similar. Most employees can speak English, even in Shanghai. But what I do notice is that whenever you, you join a team here in Shanghai, they're always very respectful and they're always uh, a little bit serious at the start. And then once you get to know them, then you can, um, how to say, choke a bit more and communicate a bit more casual. But at the start, they're very serious. Nice. Uh, that's a bit the biggest difference I, I noticed. Yeah, overall, super nice people. Um, I've been here five years now. I've only met uh, nice colleagues. So I guess I've been lucky. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah, that reminded me of... So I used to work in Sweden for a couple of years in Ghost Games in EA. And I see your point about in order to build that social relationship, you, you kind of have to immerse yourself. And then eventually, like next thing you know, in, in Sweden, they have something called Fika, right? Fika is like you have a coffee break. And then, you know, it's always there's going to be sweet with your coffee, right? And that's how you get to know your coworkers. So it started with just very respectful, very cordial, but then like as you get along, you get to know them better. And that's how you build relationships. Yeah, exactly. It's like in the UK where the people like to add milk to their tea. That was a foreign concept to me at first. I was thinking like, why would you add milk to your tea? And I was always taking the fruit tea and they were saying, no, 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 Brian, you're making your tea all wrong here. Let me help you. Uh, <laughs> that was uh, fun. All right. So now with all this experience, right, like you've been involved in, again, in all this, all these different companies, you've shipped games. 
So I'm kind of curious, you must have stories. You must have interesting and fun stories about shipping different games. Can you share any fun stories about any of the bugs or any experience that you have shipping any of the games you've done? Sure. Uh, there's a few uh, examples that come to mind. I'll start at the very start. So at Tram Studios on Age of Wonders 3, though I was there until we were almost launching, I think we were a month from launch. Before I left, they asked me, hey, because I made the quest system in that game and they asked the, my last week if I could make a big new feature involving the quest system which was a group quest so it was a quest that was sent out to every player simultaneously and if one of them completed it then it would get declined for the other players so the other players couldn't complete it anymore and I raised the risk that because the game is an online multiplayer game as well I said hey um, at that time I was very new I, I had one year of experience and I said I could make the system but I couldn't guarantee guarantee that it work well in multiplayer that it would synchronize well and then they told me oh it's fine just make the feature we'll properly test it they had someone test it and then the person said yeah your system works fine uh, you don't need to worry and they <laughs> told me yeah see you should be more confident of your own features and I said well thank you but I'm still concerned <laughs> I still think there's something that can go wrong with this system because I, I, I rushed it so so much and then I was reading the patch notes and then in one of the next versions it said fixed decent synchronization issues uh, with group quests yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so indeed there was a small issue that could occur it didn't always occur but it could occur right. and uh, they, they patched it later right, right. so one thing i learned from there is don't add big new features last minutes another game was a rare replay and a rare replay was mostly a single player game but it had leaderboards and um, was a very ui heavy game because every every game had its own ui stage so it was like a theater every mm -hmm. game had its own theater stage mm -hmm. and then every game uh, could also players could do achievements and they could also earn high scores for some games mm -hmm. and while we were making the game we were only a few developers on the team mm -hmm. like we were i don't know less than less than 50 developers mm -hmm. so so the leaderboard would only go up to 50. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, well, we only tested it up to 50. And then we noticed once we launched the game, mm -hmm. the, the, the little text box to show the rank, mm -hmm. to show your, um, how to say, your your, your ranking. Yep, yep, your position. Mm -hmm. Cut off after 100,000 players. Okay. So if you weren't in the top 100,000, your rank would get cut off. Right. And it would then show you, oh, your number, um, I don't know, 100,000, <laughs> while in fact you're number 1 million. Right, right, and right. Uh, things like this. So in order to properly test this we had to generate fake users in order to test like hey does our our leaderboard show all the necessary information right right um not a major issue, but still a very funny one. But it was it was quickly fixed in one of the patches. Right, right. Then the biggest one, mm -hmm. the biggest launch issue I ever encountered was on Halo Wars 2. Mm -hmm. So in that game, we did have to work very hard near the end to get all the features in. And then the company did a lot of tests. So something that I really liked is they had a thing called War Nights, where they would order pizza mm -hmm. at the company and employees would play the game against each other. Mm -hmm. So they would mm -hmm. have like an internal competition yeah, like a play and test. they would use this to balance the in-game yeah mm -hmm. they would do this to balance the in-game factions because it's a very multiplayer focused game and everyone made sure or people were really putting their heart into this game to make sure it was properly balanced mm -hmm. it ran smoothly it was optimized mm -hmm. you know to give the best experience for the player mm -hmm. 
and they did an open beta as well. Mm -hmm. uh, everything went fine. Mm -hmm. There weren't many issues and any issues that occurred between open beta and launch, they were fixed. Mm -hmm. So then came the big moment. Mm -hmm. So we thought we were ready to launch. Mm -hmm. We launch it and then both on Xbox One and on PC, mm -hmm. let's say you would play a match with four players. Mm -hmm. One of the players, their FPS would drop to five. Mm -hmm or like ridiculously low mm -hmm. and then get disconnected. So it was unplayable for one player. Wow. And then that same player with the same machine, with the same Xbox, mm -hmm. would then join another match. Mm -hmm. Everything would work fine. Hmm. Everything would work fine for another match. Everything would work fine for another match. And then next match, same thing would happen again. Mm -hmm. They would get disconnected. The game would become unplayable. Mm -hmm. And I was very hyped for this game's launch because not only did I enjoy this game as a developer, I only also enjoyed this game as a player. Mm -hmm. So when this happened to me, like when I I was recording videos and putting them on YouTube of me playing the game, making tactics. Mm -hmm. And then once in a few games, I would get this horrible lag spike and I would get disconnected. Yep. There's nothing I could do about it. Yep. Because, you know, when you launch a multiplayer game, people are super excited to play it. And if you get a big issue like this at the start, it's going to upset a lot of players yep. and rightfully so. Yep. And then I remember we came into the office and I was really angry. Oh, no. And I remember we had a meeting with all, all the programmers and I was just a mid level programmer so i was definitely uh saying something out of line i said uh whoever caused this issue should get fired and uh that i think the technical director said i agree and then everyone was kind of panicked and we were trying to figure out so we had a discussion with everyone like what could cause this thing and no one knew mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden because i was sitting across the software director in the office mm -hmm. and and he was saying like we were still talking about it like what could have happened mm -hmm. and i said yeah the only the only thing I said, we have added nothing, really nothing. What has been added to this game? Mm -hmm. Except for the DRM <laughs> software. <laughs> And then uh -huh. uh, suddenly he stops replying and he says, let me check something. Mm -hmm. And then what happened was instead of checking if the player's files were legitimate mm -hmm. on joining the match mm -hmm. or on startup, mm -hmm. they put this check in the update loop. So mm -hmm. okay. every frame, mm -hmm. this thing was checking if the player's files were legitimate, mm -hmm. which would basically just lag out the player. It would mm -hmm. like completely lag them out and make the game unplayable. And the reason why was I think the way they did this was they've sent out the game to that external partner mm -hmm. and they added their logics into the game and then said, yeah, it's ready for launch. Mm -hmm. And then that should have gotten tested on a live audience as well, not just on um, internal testers. Right. So that's why you didn't see it in your internal uh, playtest in the War Nights. Um, this was also added like very late, like ah. we finished open beta, then this got added. And then I think a few days later, it got launched. Right. So, yeah, that's uh, that was unfortunate, but I think they solved it within the next few days. But it was still, you know, you want your launch to be perfect. You know, first impressions, they matter. If you play an MMO mm -hmm. and you're greeted with a login screen of 10 hours, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that's not, uh, especially if you take the day off work to join an MMO. Well, this wasn't an MMO, but I'm just giving it as an example. Right. If servers can't keep up and people have to wait 10 hours to play, you know, that's not very user friendly. That's right. With this in mind, what are the things that you just always have to do? It becomes kind of like your ritual 
whenever you are shipping games. Do you have anything that you, you want to share, I guess, with the listeners? Um, yeah. What What are the things that you, you have to do? Well, first of all, there's a big difference whether your game is single player or multiplayer. I would say if you're making a single player game, especially if it's a game with progression, so like you have a storyline or a quest line, then the most important thing you got to really test is your save and load system. Mm -hmm. Because there's nothing more frustrating than a player investing hours of his or her life into the game to do to then try to load their their save mm -hmm. and the save being corrupt and them losing all their progress right so uh, you really got to make sure that your save and load system even if it can't load something that it graciously handles it mm -hmm. even if some data may, may get lost at least that you can then patch it in later but at least they can keep on playing and report the issue but if they simply can't load the game anymore that's a massive issue or if the quest line suddenly breaks and the game comes to a halt like for example you need to talk to an NPC in order to complete your quest, mm -hmm. but this NPC doesn't show up mm -hmm. or this mm -hmm. NPC gets killed and never responds right. and the player gets permanently stuck. Like you really got to make sure these things are, are covered. Yep. Then for uh, multiplayer games, I would always recommend doing a lag test. So having users with bad connections play the game because... Um, sometimes weird results can come from that as well. I think like some consoles actually does require you to test with bad connection for players. Yeah, uh, we, we had also cases in, in co-op where if you were playing a co-op experience, mm -hmm. like where the progress would only get saved for the main player and the co-op player was kind of more there like a helper. Mm -hmm. But the problem was if this helper character picked up essential items mm -hmm. and then disconnected from the session, mm -hmm the host couldn't continue. So these kind of edge cases, you really got to, to solve like either share quest items to both players right. because these small things that can happen, which while you're developing don't seem like a huge issue, they become a massive issue once people play your game and uh, these things will happen. Yeah, especially like, I guess you work in the Far Cry series and open world games in particular, right? There's just so yeah. many permutation of state. Actually, this example came from a Far Cry game. Ah, okay. So, yeah. So, one of the things that we discussed before we start recording is that you do like teaching things. You do like sharing your knowledge. Uh, seems like you are teaching at night in Shanghai Tech University. Tell me more about that. Uh, yeah, that's right. So, it, it all started when I was a university student myself. At some point, my best friend in university couldn't afford a university trip and... I said, okay, well, let's try and find a way for you to earn some money during the summer and I can help you with it. And our university is notoriously difficult. Like in the first year, 75% of students fail. And a big part of the reason is because there's so many new courses like 3D modeling, programming, technical drawing, mathematics and, and physics uh, that people, when they come straight from high school, it's a big jump in difficulty. Mm -hmm. So I suggested, how about we make a summer course and we prepare students that want to join this university in the summer. And we teach them these courses to give them kind of a head start. Mm -hmm. And uh, we did that. The school supported our idea. And this became like a big success. We did this for three years every summer. And my friend was able to pay his uh, trip. Nice. And then uh, when I moved to Shanghai, to first work at Ubisoft Shanghai, mm -hmm. they have a close game development community here. Mm -hmm called uh, Random Encounters Shanghai. And they meet up every two weeks in a random place in Shanghai mm -hmm. where various developers, they have drinks, they, you know, exchange stories, they get to meet each other. And one of the people that showed up at some point was responsible for a game development course 
at another university called Shanghai Vancouver Film School. Mm -hmm. And they were looking for a C-sharp teacher, so C-sharp programming teacher. They already had their own course, so they didn't require me to make a course. They just uh, required me to to show up, teach this course, explain to students how everything worked. So that was my, my, my first start in teaching in university in Shanghai. And then all of a sudden, I watched a YouTube ad. So I was watching YouTube, and that showed up. And it was this guy saying, uh, hey, kids, would you like to make your own game? Game development is easier than you think. And I remember this very well because this ad kept popping up. (laughs) Then he made a Udemy course and he was teaching people online how to make Unity games. And I thought, hmm, could I make a course like this? Could I... Would I would it make it the same? Could I do it better? You know, and this was an idea that was um, in my head. Mm-hmm. And then in this random encounters chat group, all of all of a sudden, um, an older man uh, sent a message to the group. I'm looking for a, a Unity senior Unity developer. I have some questions, and no one replied to him. And I said, Yes, um, I have ten years experience in Unity. Maybe I can help you. Mm-hmm. And then he said, Okay, well, let me let me send you a private message. And he said, Okay, I'm the dean of this university called Shanghai Tech, mm-hmm. and we are thinking about starting a game development curriculum and we want to teach unity to our students but we don't have any course we don't have any teacher we have nothing set up mm-hmm. um so you would need to start this from from scratch yep. and then i said i said wow this sounds like a big challenge mm-hmm. so then i spent my weekends creating demo projects you know like Mm-hmm. projects you can make Tutorials. within a span of two hours mm-hmm. yeah um to to make the students do this in the class then i would also upload these demo projects to my website where they could download it in case they couldn't follow during the class and then i made powerpoints to go with it and then i i taught this course um over a span of four months so once a week and then they also asked me hey can you teach this as a summer course so four days a week mm-hmm. i would teach uh, unity two hours a day and then in one month They had to present their final projects. And during this time, they made four games, three games by themselves and one game as a group project. Um, The results are really good, Mm -hmm. like really, really good Mm -hmm. for people that never used Unity before. Mm -hmm. And then I made a compilation video and I put it on YouTube. And then someone at Ubisoft saw this video Mm -hmm. because uh, the results of this video, like some people were commenting, I can't believe this is made by students. (laughs) Someone from Ubisoft said, hey, Brian, could you teach your your fellow employees? Mm -hmm. I said, well, you want me to give a presentation in Shanghai? And they said, well, if you could teach it worldwide, that would be even better. And one of my colleagues gave me that. He said, hey, Brian, you should probably ask if you can keep the copyrights of this course that you're making. Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll agree to it. And then I, I spoke to them. I said, hey, is it okay for me to keep the copyrights of this? It was before I started recording. Yeah. And they said, sure. If Ubisoft employees can use this course for free internally, mm-hmm. then we're fine with giving you the copyrights. And then they said, how many years can we can we teach this for free at, at Ubisoft. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, you can have it for 10,000 years. <laughs> and after that, we will have to discuss it. Sure. We will have to discuss again. Yeah. I said, but by then, probably the course is outdated. They were, they were very happy with that. And I said, sure. And so then when I finished it, I uploaded it to Ubisoft's internal Learn system. Mm-hmm. And then I also put it on Udemy. Mm-hmm. I think my course is 19.1 hours. It has over 200 videos uh, making 15 different games. And it was very well received. It's gotten four and a half star uh, reviews in total and it's gotten 1,600 online students as of now. Wow. So yeah, I'm, I'm very happy with, with this process. It's kind of like an idea that popped up in my head mm-hmm. and then I did it when the opportunity came up. That is awesome. Like I, I definitely going to put the uh, the link to your uh, Udemy course in, in the description for folks to find it. Okay, thank you. So what's next? You know, what's exciting? Sure. So um, actually, 
the opportunity that Net that came up at Netties was amazing because two and a half years they basically contacted us and a few people internationally and they said we want you to make a game so we're going to give you a budget and we want you not only to make a game but also to build a team so then we started hiring all over the world we started out with four people now we're 60 <laughs> we got people to relocate from their home countries from all over the world from america belgium netherlands Spain, France, UK, uh, Ukraine, Russia, um, you name it, all over the world today, they moved to Shanghai. And then we started building our game and we are discussing with publishers right now. And we're near completion of the first playable demo. It's been a good experience and we've, we're making the game in Unity as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we're doing some, some really cool stuff like we're using HD, HDRP and making our own shaders mm -hmm. to get like really nice looking effects. Because many people say, oh, uh, Unity games can't get that amazing graphics, but actually it can, but it requires some custom uh, shaders and lots of setup. That's a really big milestone. So congratulations for that. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Brian, thank you so much for coming on to the show and, and chatting with us and sharing some of the, the experience, some of the great experience you've had shipping all these this great titles. And uh, I wish you best of luck with the game with Natties and obviously with the teaching gig that you have in both the Shanghai Tech University and the Udemy. Thank you very much, Raymond. It was uh, good to hear you again. Hey, thanks for listening in. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you'd like to share any similar stories, on launching games, I would love to hear from you. Shoot me an email at hello at boringlaunch.gg. And if you'd like to check out more episodes, visit our website, boringlaunch.gg. See you in the next episode.